Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Patient Podcast. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. When my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I decided to use my skills as a journalist in a different way. Frustrated by the lack of information on science and the inability to get different expert opinions, I decided to quit my job at the Wall Street Journal to create a better platform for people impacted by dementia. We are a community where news and information is created by our team of journalists. We ask tough questions and we simplify the science so that anyone can understand. We don't only cover disease, but delve into the latest research on what it takes to keep our brains healthy. We invite the experts and ask your questions. Here's today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another live talk. Today, we are lucky enough to be speaking with speech pathologist Vicki Bukahara to discuss the symptoms of language impairment in dementia and how speech therapy can help people cope with their decline in you know, communication abilities. So she has been practicing for over 25 years, so she has a wealth of information to share, and we are very excited to speak with her. So let me bring her in. Give me just one second. There you are. Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. you? Great. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We've got, let's see, we've got a couple people on here. Great. So as more people um, are joining us, perhaps you could just, before we get into questions, give us a little introduction on and who you are and um, what you do. I am a speech pathologist with, yes, over 25 years of experience. Um, and I have a private practice currently, and I do also subcontract work. But my specialty has always been um, based with individuals who have suffered any type of neurological injury. Um, that's been my passion for all this time. I never looked back. Um, and I've just it's just fascinating to me, um, neurological rehabilitation. So I've stuck with it ever since. And here we are. And and how, I mean, we you and I were just chatting about this a little bit earlier, but how has that changed during the pandemic? Um, doing, <laughs> doing this all virtually for most That could be another session, but <laughs> uh, definitely learning experience. I think for all of us clinicians who are so used to one-on-one and, and personal therapy sessions in the comfort of either an office or someone's home or someone's, you know, um, environment. Um, It took a lot of getting used to, to be honest. It's harder to connect with patients, especially when they're going through um, something like, you know, their inability to talk. Um, You know, how do we coax it out of them over, you know, the internet per se? Um, It took, it took a while for me. It was it was an adjustment, I'm sure, for everybody out there. Is that something that, you know, a loved one caregiver can help, like, facilitate, you know, in these sessions? Can they be a helping hand for you to kind of, you know, because you're not able to have that tactile connection? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I rely on the caregivers or the loved ones, the husband or wife, um, all the time, um, one-to-one therapy or via, you know, uh, a Zoom call or whatnot. Uh, they are in, I can't imagine doing it without their help and neither can the patient, um, depending on what stage of uh, 
difficulty they are, they need their other person there to help maneuver the computer or, you know, help show me their examples of work or whatnot. So they're invaluable. Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, before we get a little bit deeper, I just wanted to remind everybody watching that you can submit any questions to our comment link below. And then probably towards the end, we can get to any questions that you may have. So um, firstly, I wanted to know, you know, how do you use speech therapy as a tool to help patients? And are there specific strategies that you use? Um, you know, I'm sure each individual session is very personalized, but are there, you know, some specific strategies or tools you gravitate towards um, in your clients? Um, that's a great question. It is very individual. Um, I tend to gravitate to whatever their strengths are. Um, I think we all have to with this, uh, with that decline that, you know, this, this disease happens to um, progress to. So I start with what are they good at? You know, I'm, I'm, I know what they're not good at. Um, let's say word finding, for example. I know they have a really hard time accessing their vocabulary. So what way did they learn best before? Were they visuals? Were they auditory? Um, they'll sometimes tell me, oh, yeah, I never took notes. I just memorized everything, you know, back in the day. Okay. So that tells me maybe they were best verbally. And we, we try to kind of streamline therapy that way and also tie in the visual because, again, um, there are weaknesses as everything progresses. So I just try to start with what are they, what are they good at and what do they like? Do they like the electronics? Some just don't. They don't have a smartphone. It's not up their wheelhouse. So we start with paper pencil um, and we kind of go from there. So do you use um, kind of art in any way or kind of using um, if they can't find words for something? Do you urge them to gravitate towards a piece of paper and a pen? Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Drawing therapy, I think, is very um, underused. Uh, and I don't know why. I think we just forget it's it's available to us and the patient. And I love drawing therapy. I'm not an artist. Um, first thing I tell patients is don't worry about it. But uh, surprisingly enough, oftentimes that can be very intact, especially at the beginning part of the progression. And some of them surprise themselves at what they can draw. Um, and it and indirectly may bring up more language. Uh, so I love doing art. I love doing graphics um, with color, you know, um, for note taking, for example. Uh, you can tell I'm a very visual person yep. myself. So, but I think it helps patients also know that there is that side that we can tap into, the creative side, the colorful side. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that. I think, you know, using art as a, another form of therapy is always mm -hmm. helpful. So, I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit about that process. Like, say there is someone who doesn't know the word, um, doesn't know, you know, maybe wants an apple, but doesn't remember what an apple is. Could you, is there any strategy that you use to kind of work through that? And does that involve, you know, taking to pen and paper um, or something of the like? Um, I first start with teaching them and or the caregivers uh, a couple of things. I like to start off with, you know, when you freeze up, you know, you know, the tip of your tongue, I know that word, let's say apple, but 
doggone it, I can't get it out, and they get frustrated. So first off, I say, you know what, don't get frustrated, you know, and I go through a 20-question type of thing, but but smaller scale. Um, what room is it in? Oh, it's in the kitchen, you know, it's on the table. Got it. Okay, so that gives the listener also um, a context. Right. Instead of a wide open window of I don't know what the word is. You know, okay, is it food? Yep. And we just kind of go through that, that questioning. And usually um, you can narrow it down fairly quickly if your questioning is on target. So, uh, yeah, and that to caregivers who don't know, um, who, you know, deal with this every day, that really helps them. It lessens everybody's frustration. So that's one of the first things I do is I teach the caregivers and the patient how to break that down a little bit. And maybe in the process, they come up with the word themselves. That's amazing. So it's almost, I mean, it sounds a little bit like a, a little bit like a game in a way, you know. It is. Yeah. But you definitely have to have the patience for that. Um, yes, you do. I mean, kind of kind of going off what you were just talking about, um, what are your recommendations for people who are living with someone, a loved one, or, you know, someone they're caring for with dementia um, who is experiencing speech impairment. So, you know, obviously what you just said is one strategy. One. Is, um, is there anything else that you can recommend that could maybe alleviate that difficulty? Um, gesturing, again, I think we forget we can use our hands. It, our hands are great communicators and we don't oftentimes use them. Other cultures do. We kind of don't. So I encourage my patients to use their hands. They can eat, they can uh, much faster, you know, gesture the apple than they can get the word out. And therefore they don't have to do the contextual cueing, you know, um, they can just gesture it. And maybe in the process of doing that motion, they'll say, oh, I need an apple. Right. Yeah. That's and sometimes the motor movement of doing apple will bring out the verbal. Interesting. Okay, well, that's that's another great tool. Um, and then I guess kind of going back a little bit, because um, mm -hmm. we jumped right in, but before, no, which is great, but before someone, you know, with dementia or another neurodegenerative disease decides that they need to go see a speech therapist, um, are there red, red flags or anything that you see maybe right in the beginning that would warrant you to recommend someone to go and see a speech pathologist? I would say some of the red flags would be when a, when a weakness really begins to interfere with your life and, and possibly even safety. Safety is like, a hallmark, you know, if, if you're, if a memory issue is becoming to be a safety issue, you, the patient family members need to take themselves to the doctor for one, and then they refer on to a speech pathologist. Um, you know, we all have memory, we all forget, you know, I forget where I put my keys, but it doesn't interfere with my, with my daily routine. Right. So, I think when it gets to the point where it's more frequent or it's a safety issue um, or the word finding becomes so that, again, it interferes with basic communication on a day-to-day -day basis, that's when I would definitely say, um, you know, have an assessment by your doctor and they can refer on. Yeah. And 
how how often do you see each patient on average? You know, is it is it biweekly? Um, or I mean, I'm sure it varies a little bit, but what mm -hmm. what is a good basis? My typical sessions are about an hour. Uh, for my more advanced patients who maybe can't endure, you know, that long, it's a half hour. And sometimes it's just once a week. Sometimes it's twice a week, either a half hour or an hour sessions. Great. It just kind of depends on their endurance. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of speaking to that, um, obviously a lot of this takes work on the back end. You know, you can do so okay. much in these sessions, but it's really what you take out of them and how you implement them to daily life. So going back to, you know, those strategies, um, do you give, do you give your patients like a list of exercises or how does that work kind of take home care or is there any kind of general um, practices or techniques you can recommend for anybody watching this? I um, often give homework. <laughs> Um, you know, the, I, do, I give the traditional worksheets. It's just something for them to work on, you know, um, and they seem to enjoy it. Um, and the caregivers can either assist or sometimes if they're independent, they can do it on their own. But it's just extra exercise, extra cognitive stimulation for them. I also um, recommend apps sometimes depending on, you know, their level of, of uh Difficulty apps are a great kind of fun way if they have access to iPads, smartphones, etc. Um, and I, you know, usually give a generic kind of recommendation. This is what we can work on for the week. You know, let's work on if you can, you know, use gestures more with your family, you know, and have the family, um, of course, support that. So there's usually a homework assignment in there somewhere, whether written or verbal. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that that only makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. that, um, oh, just kind of going off that, we have a question here that says, can you post a sample worksheet that you use in app samples? I'm sure that's, I don't know if you have, that's something you would have on hand or could share, but. <laughs> I don't have my worksheets ready to go here to have to get up and no. book and whatnot. But um, is there, maybe is there, and we, we could possibly post this afterwards, but maybe if there's an online resource or I don't know, a template or something that you have seen online that you could recommend. And we can talk about that afterwards, but um, I just- As far as apps, I mean, there's a lot of them out there, but one of the very popular, um, let's say for naming, um, and I don't work for any of these companies or anything, but no affiliation. Um, one of them is Tactus. They have a lot of apps out there for paper, Patients with learning, or excuse me, language difficulty. Um, there's constant therapy. There's a lot of apps out there. It just, again, um, be aware that it just depends on the level of where the patient is at. Um, it can be way over, way too hard or way too simple. So, you know, on advice of a of your speech pathologist, if you have one, you know, go with what they recommend. But there are a lot of apps out there. Some good, not so good. Yeah. And so we talked a little bit about, um, you know, word recognition. But mm -hmm. is there any kind of particular memory work uh, that you do to try and enhance short or long-term, people's short or long-term memories? 
Um, what I what I try to focus on usually the long term memory, and um, at least initially, is pretty intact. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the day to day, short term. What did I have for breakfast this morning? Or you know, um, I try to instill uh, tools right away. Again, depending on where I get the refer what what stage my patient comes to me at. But right away we start working on okay, what system can we put into place that'll help you. Uh, get through your day better. Is it, do we need and should you need a calendar, you know, wall board up there that tells you what you're doing today? Or is it something more sophisticated like your iPhone or, or your smartphone? Or is it something that, you know, Alexa's and, this, you know, um, uh, edge devices? So do we put those into place in the home? So that's what I usually kind of zero in on right away when I'm dealing with a memory um, uh, weakness with patients. I just try to set up something right away and something that will be useful on a day-to-day -day basis. And do you find, I mean, you spoke to this a little bit earlier, but do you find, you know, with apps like Alexa, you know, do some, do some people who maybe you wouldn't think took too much to technology, um, learn it's you know maybe you're surprised about how quickly they learn like oh alexa can you help me with you know what's the weather today they think it's kind of fun yeah i, mean, I think it's fun <laughs> i think it's fun um you know for basic things you know and it also works on their language in a kind of fun way yeah they're just not talking to their loved one they can talk to alexa and ask her all sorts of questions and it, it can be kind of fun you know if someone sets it up for them but yeah, well, I think that's a that's a really fun option, I think. And it's mm -hmm. simple, too. You know, once it's set up, it's mm -hmm. ready to go and ready to respond. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great um, recommendation. So and, and kind of in your line of work, um, what are some kind of common misconceptions about speech therapy for people with um, Alzheimer's or dementia? You know, is there is there anything that um, you would think that maybe deters people from initially seeking out a speech pathologist for? Um, I think one misconception is just the term, you know, speech therapist, speech pathologist. A lot of, a lot of people don't know what we do. They, they think of speech therapy or speech pathology as um, school-based therapists, you know, working on speech production or with language learning um, children, but they don't really realize what we do from a neurological standpoint, um, attention, memory, uh, you know, word finding. So that's one thing is educating everybody what we do um, in all populations, including dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, I think the other misconception is I don't, if, you know, once you say dementia and Alzheimer's, it's, it's a daunting term and, I, I've heard even some doctors, they say, oh, you know, they can't do anything, meaning speech pathologists, oh, they can't do anything for you. And, and, and we're like, uh. <laughs> um, you know, not true. We, we can bring to the table um, some tools for the family and the patient. And so I don't, I don't want the term of dementia, Alzheimer's, to automatically disclude therapy. Yeah. You know. Um, there's different types of therapy for different needs. And right. so um, I hope I hope to convey that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. And so, to that end, you know, I'm sure you've in your 20 over 25 years, uh, can you speak to some of the success stories that you've experienced, or you know, someone's progression that you could see just to kind of um, maybe motivate some people watching? Um, trying to think of somebody. <laughs> it doesn't need to be anyone uh, specific, but. Um, you know, maybe it could just be, I don't know, just, just a simple, like not remembering Apple, but then through this, you know, through the writing or through, I'm just curious to know, and it's okay if not, but. Um, no, no, no. I, um, I'm thinking of a particular patient. Uh, he uh, definitely had the word finding issues, pretty significant. And um, so we targeted certain things in his house. And this is also, um, I, I target, core vocabulary what do they need to know they don't if they don't have a dog they don't need to know the word dog right. but they need to know in their home what do they need to do and he was one of them that i did the drawing therapy on and initially before he had his progression he was able to draw beautifully and he and he said as a young man he loved to draw but then you know he went to work and forgot about it and and we were both amazed at how he could draw and he never got to really use it as a communication tool. But uh, for that, for that, you know, few months that he could do it, it was a really good tool for us. No, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. And is there anything, you know, you mentioned gesturing, you mentioned drawing. Um, are there any music? music? I was, I, I was thinking that, but I didn't, I was in my head. I was thinking, how would that connect? So can you enlighten us on that? Uh, music just brings out a different uh, motions to people, um, elder, the elderly, much less even the dementia and Alzheimer's, but it, you know, brings back memories, you know, it brings back good feelings and it can also facilitate language. Mm. So um, again, depending on the stage of the dementia, is um, music is a great way to to bring out conversation how oh, do you remember when, when we danced to that song or you know they can sing along possibly again it's it's verbal it's it's movement you know it's memory a lot yeah yeah, yeah. enhancing so yeah music yeah because i remember i mean my, my grandfather had um he had parkinson's um mm. dementia but he remembered music from when his childhood, you know, and when he couldn't find words, it was almost as if he could find music. So I think that that's also a great strategy. Um, we have a couple questions here. Uh, one, can you discuss problems that arise with reading and writing? Uh, yes, uh, especially uh, as you get into like the moderate kind of severe ranges, they. Uh, patients can lose the ability to visually kind of construct and remember the writing and much less decode, encode reading. Um, you know, again, breaking it down as, as breaking it down in therapy as much as we can to help help um, maintain as much reading and writing, a lot of repetition, let's say their name a lot of repetition, um, their family names, again, sticking to what they really need to know, 
You know, they don't really need to, you know, know other vocabulary or know how to spell it, but they need to know their name and their wife's name or husband's name and things like that. So repetition with the writing can help. Okay, if they practice. And do you show, you know, say a husband and wife, would you show the husband a photo of his wife or what, in what ways do you go about that? Yeah, there's photos or there's family, the photo album. A lot of families put, up, put together photo albums, which is a great memory tool. It's a great vocabulary tool. And so you can show the picture of, let's say, the wife of, of the patient who's the husband and you know have them spell the names or everybody in the family group photo i i would help them if they forgot the first letter i'd give them the first letter i'd even maybe make spaces if it's married and space 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 and put the m yeah so then they just oh yeah fill in that you know so there's little tricks little techniques to help them um you know keep their spelling and reading as long as they can yeah Seems seems integral to that. Um, we have another question up here. I don't know if you could speak to this, but um, my husband is choking more and more drinking coffee and water. Is there something I can offer to help him? Uh, it sounds like his muscles in his uh, throat are weakening and possibly his tongue too. So I would definitely recommend a assessment by a speech pathologist, uh, swallowing therapist. Um, I, Check with your doctor, but that shouldn't be a problem getting that referred. So, so are there? And forgive my ignorance if it is there, but um, so are there different kinds of speech pathologists specific to like? Are you specifically focusing on, um, you know, language writing and recognition, whereas someone else might be, you know, fu fully focused in on maybe dysphagia or swallowing disorders? Some, some therapists really focus on certain things, not that they can't do other areas, but there, you know, there's some therapists who are highly focused on, um, uh, um, let's say dysphagia, you know, yeah. that's all they do. Um, but not to say that others can't. And some therapists also only focus on children in the schools and that's all they do in their clinics. So you wouldn't go to them for a swallowing assessment per se. All right, let's see. Uh, we have one here. I find I have some time. I think I find I, I sometimes remember clearly and then other times I can't bring a word up. Do you know what could be the cause? Um, my first thought would be fatigue uh, when and or being overstimulated. Those are my first thoughts. If you're, if when all of us are tired, we don't think as clearly, you know, um, we just, our brain just wants to rest. Or if there's a lot going on in the environment, let's say if you're in a group discussion, um, that's a lot for the brain to process. And maybe at that time, it, it, you might have more difficulty getting your thoughts across, your words out, because there's just a lot going on. Those are my first two thoughts on that one. All right. So obviously, recommendations would be prioritizing your sleep. Um, and then is it like limiting distractions, you know, maybe in when you're eating or maybe in a conversation, you know, maybe limiting one-on-one, -on -one. uh, do you have any other recommendations with regards to that? Um, especially when you're eating, we all should be, you know, reducing our distraction anyway, but, um, I would just know when you have your good periods of the day and not in any, any more, more vital discussions take place when you're at your best. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it might be like first thing in the morning, you're really bright, you're more alert per se. Um, have those discussions then. Um, and then, you know, definitely know your body. And if you're tired, uh, you can't push yourself, don't get frustrated. You know, just maybe go take a walk, clear, you know, just do something not verbal and then come back to it. Just take a little break. And, and kind of in line with what we were talking about with music earlier, do you find TV or movies can help with that as well? Um, kind of jogging maybe words or uh, phrases for people? Um, sometimes I tend not to use TV because then it locks them in uh, to kind of a non-productive activity. Yeah. Uh, they can't really properly engage. Yeah, yeah. So I prefer them, you know, go to a Zoom group, you know, a, you know even a support group or an activity group or uh, something like that. Cool. Uh, let's see if we have one more here. Uh, do you prepare people with frontal lobe dementia and their care- caregivers so they can continue communicating for as long as possible? Need that one more time. Do you prepare people with frontal lobe dementia and their caregivers so they can continue communicating for as long as possible? Not sure. She means with prepare. Um. um I- Again, depending on the frontal lobe dementias are different. Uh, they tend to have a little bit more behavior um, exhibited. So one thing, depending on where the patient is, is managing the behaviors, uh, making sure that's not impairing communication, making sure that, you know, they're, are they paying attention or, or, or are their behaviors interfering with communication? So um that would be my first look at a frontal lobe demented patient, dementia patient, um, is seeing behavior and then how that's impacting communication or vice versa. Great. Don't know if I answered that question. No, I, I think I think you did. Um, I think you answered beautifully. And I guess kind of um, to close it up, is there any kind of broad strokes that you'd like to express maybe we haven't covered, um, you know, or or kind of easy tools that people can look to, you know, if they don't, if they, maybe they're not able to um, access a speech pathologist easily. I always recommend my patients, no matter what their diagnosis is, stay active. No matter what you can or can't do physically or cognitively or even um, verbally, just stay active. Don't, don't sit by and let everything pass you by. Don't. Stay physically active, take walks, uh, do your garden. You know, if you can't stand for periods of time, get a chair out there and sit down and still enjoy what you have always enjoyed. Um, Be cognitively engaged, you know, do little puzzles, do crosswords if you can, do word searches, word search puzzles. Those are great if you're Still, if you're into Sudoku numbers, that that's a good one. Uh, you don't need a smartphone for any of that. It's all you know, books, um, drawing, coloring, even yeah. um, coloring those yeah, yeah those like complicated coloring books. Um, those are great uh, for attention and creativity. So stay active. Keep a schedule. Uh, keep a consistent schedule. Um, especially uh, later, so that patients know, what am I doing today? Every day, you know, every Monday morning I do this, you know, 
uh, every Tuesday morning I go here or I'm doing this. So making consistency in, in one's life as is so important. Yeah. And then, you know, in those moments, and I just, this kind of came to me when you were speaking, but in those moments of frustration or, you know, what, what do you tell your, you know, your clients to do in those moments where like, maybe they just feel defeated um, or unmotivated? Um, lots of encouragement, lots of love. And just, and just what, if it's a conversation that's not going well because they can't get the words out, I, I take a break. You okay. know what? Let's just come back to that later. You know, don't worry about it. If it's not vitally like a safety issue, don't worry about it. You know, let's go take a walk or let's go get a cup of coffee and then come back to it. But I, I don't keep, I don't recommend um, keep pushing it. Yeah. yeah. It, it just um, elevates the, their frustration level. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, thank you so much. It's been really, really lovely chatting with you. And oh, you're welcome. Your advice, I really appreciate it. And I know our viewers do as well. So great. Thank you so much for having me. So, all right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on upcoming interviews, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at beingpatient.com. That's B-E-I-N-G-P-A-T-I-E-N-T.com. And send us any feedback you may have, whether it's someone you want us to interview or any comment about our podcast series. You can do so by emailing info at beingpatient.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Deborah Kahn.